listen, I was, not, I was never in the military, but my understanding of the military is that you, you have the regular uh, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard. I probably miss Space Force. Now we have Space Force, Merchant Marine, all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and then you have these other folks that are called uh, Special Forces Operators or Special Operations. And um, it is my understanding from talking to folks that, that a person can start in the regular military, and while they're going through boot camp, if they express an interest and if they show particular aptitude and particular abilities, they might be identified for special operations work. Except in the Navy, the Navy's kind of different. If you wanted to be a Navy SEAL, you'd have to start in a program called BUDS, which stands for Basic Underwater Demolition slash SEAL, which sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, all guys, who, who, what guy doesn't like to blow stuff up, right? I mean... Basic underwater demolition slash seal. Anyway, it, you start in buds, and if you don't make it, which I think two-thirds don't make it through buds, then you can, get, uh, you can go back into the regular Navy and complete your basic training there. Anyway, the difference between the special forces and the regular military is that uh, the special forces often get, the special operations get uh, oftentimes more training, more, they specialize more, and they see, typically see more action and the action that they do see is maybe often a bit more high profile. So, for example, special operations were involved in the identification and killing of Osama bin Laden. Okay? Now, I bring this up to say that, um, that there's a misunderstanding, I think, in the church. Okay? I think that in the church, people think about the church like, like this. Like, this is the congregation, and this is the pastors and elders. Right? <laughs> This is the congregation, and this is the pastors and elders. And uh, I am here today to burst that bubble. Everybody in this room who calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ should be a special operator. You should be a special operations Christian. And because uh, my job as a pastor is to equip this, you know, pastors and elders, our job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, meaning ministry work is not done by... Uh, the clergy, the elders, a special elite group force of people. The, the, the ministry work is done by us all, right? It's done by us all. And so I want to call your attention today to a big problem in the church, and I want to challenge you to become a special operations Christian. Special operations Christian. Don't be content to be, um, uh, you know, in the regular infantry or whatever. Not that that's good. Got a lot of veterans in this room, and they were a lot of us, a lot, a lot of them, not me, were in uh, regular infantry, and that's, that's a wonderful thing. The question I want to ask today then is this What fundamental change should happen in the life of a person once they decide to follow Jesus? What fundamental change should happen in the life of a person once they decide to follow Jesus? Now, I, this is, I'm, I'm kind of taking, I'm kind of taking a knee for a week, and, um, we're going to talk about a topic that I think has come up in the book of Acts so far, but it's also come up in Holy Week. And the, the topic that we're going to be talking about is fear of God versus fear of man. Fear of God versus fear of man. Many, many folks, even Christian folks, tend to operate their lives in the fear of man. And brothers and sisters, this ought not be so. We ought to be a people that are operating our lives in the fear of God. I'm going to talk about this today uh, for, for lots of different reasons. So let me, let me try to express those to you now. Why, what is driving this sermon? Why am I taking a pause on this topic? A, couple, a few different reasons. My desire, as I've already said, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So uh, I'm trying to call you up to special operation status here, right? Uh, Secondly, our study in the book of Acts. We've already hit two points in the book of Acts, one in Acts chapter 4, one in Acts chapter 5, where the disciples, or some of them, have found themselves standing in front of human authority who was trying to shut down their work. And those disciples had to say, we're not doing that. You, know, you can try to shut us down, you can beat us up, you can put us in jail, but we're going to carry on the mission. Okay? So I just want to pause and think about this. Also, what we learned during Holy Week. One of the greatest things, and I'll probably conclude the sermon with this, is, is 
the transition that the disciples made as they approached the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, many of the disciples and, for that matter, the Jewish officials, Pilate, were all operating their lives, or seemed to be operating their lives, according to the fear of man. So I'm going to talk about what that is in a second. And after the resurrection, not maybe all at once, but pretty quickly, the disciples that remained, not Judas, but the disciples that remained, began to operate their lives in the fear of God. And it had a profound effect. But fourthly, what's driving the sermon is is that this is a big problem in the church. When people come in uh, to talk to me, I I typically find out very rapidly that uh, people that are encountering a lot of problems in life typically are having problems with either maybe both, their identity in Christ, they've placed their identity in someone or something else other than Jesus Christ. And the second problem that I see is that they're operating their life in the fear of man and not in the fear of God. And it's a big problem. What do I mean when I say it's a big problem? Well, it's often the reason that we, it can be, it's often the reason that we're not pursuing personal holiness. What do I mean by that? I mean, you get up in the morning, if you're anything like me, I'm a busy dude. I get up in the morning and the first thing, you know, I have, I suffer probably like many of you others do with the immediate realization once I wake up, take, go get a cup of coffee and sit down. The immediate realization that the to-do list today is longer than I have time to complete. And that other people are waiting on me to get my work done. And the temptation to get cracking and cross things off that to-do list so that people will be happy with me and think of me as a, a wonderful pastor and leader and, and all this kind of stuff. And your job varies. You'll, but, but for many of us, there's the, the tyranny of the urgent, right? And so rather than setting aside purposeful, meaningful time to spend in fellowship with the God of the universe by reading his word, talking to him in prayer, and perhaps even sitting in a few moments of silence and and letting, allowing him to speak to us through that word, you know, bring to our minds things that we need to work on. We just jump right into the to-do list. And we don't prioritize God in our lives. And then we wonder why we have problems. Fear of man is often the reason why we don't confront sin. Let's be honest. Let's just be 100% honest with each other for a minute. How many of you think that your reputation, your your the view of you in, in another person's eyes will go up or go down if you go up to them and say the following words. Hey, you, I love you. Come here for a second. I need to talk to you about some sin in your life. Do you think your, your, your popularity with that person just went up or down? Probably went down, right? And if you, if you don't, if, you, if maybe perhaps you are awkward because this is not something that you're practiced at doing or whatever and... and you may even come off to the other person as a jerk, right? Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to be known as a jerk or somebody who's meddling in other people's affairs, right? But, and so, and so we don't confront sin out of fear of man. But what does the Bible say? What does God say? The God, God says, you know, if your brother sins against you, go to that person and tell him the sin between you and him, right? The idea is that we're going to clear the air, we're going to, we're going to, Seek restoration of this relationship through confession and repentance, right? Confession, agreeing with God what happened, that it was sin, and repentance, deciding to turn away from that, making restitution if possible. I mean, if I, if I went out in the parking lot and I slashed uh, Pastor Marvin's tires, I'm going to do more than just mouth the words, please forgive me. I'm going to say, may I pay for the new tires and take care of getting that, that done, That's restitution, right? Fear of man is often the reason why we don't confront problems in society, right? Fear of man is is often the reason that we don't share the gospel. 
I work in this building, and uh, I work in the, my office is in the elementary school section of the building. The, the high school and middle school is down on the other end of the building. But I have enough interaction with the high school and middle school that I can tell you that one of the most repeated words in the high school and middle school kids' uh, mouths these days is the word awkward. That was awkward. You're being awkward. This is a very awkward thing. Stop being awkward! They say awkward a lot. And it is. It's awkward sometimes to bring up God in the conversation with another person, right? And so we avoid it. We fear man. Now we carry with us, we've been entrusted by God with the message of the gospel. The message that, that we're all sinners, that the wages of sin is death, meaning that if we die in our sin, we're going to spend eternity separated from God in a very bad place called hell. But that God sent His only Son, Jesus, right? To live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to rise again on the third day. We just celebrated that on Easter. So that, for God so loved the world, right? He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. We've been entrusted with that message and given a mission to go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. And yet, out of fear of man, we won't bring it up. It's a big problem. And it's a, it's a topic that I think needs to be highlighted. So, we're going to talk about it a little bit today. And then next week will be Graduate Recognition Sunday. And then after that, we're, we are full speed ahead getting through Acts. Okay, But we're taking a knee here on this concept of fear of man, fear of God. First of all, let's talk about what fear is. And i, I got to tell you... Uh, just being honest, I've, I've felt a little disingenuous over time. Uh, this is just me, probably my psychosis, but uh, I've, I've, I've felt a little disingenuous because sometimes I, I feel like I'm saying the, the following words. Fear of man is like you're scared of people. You're, you know, it's like you're hiding under the bed of people and all this kind of stuff. But fear of God, that's reverential awe. That, so I, I feel like I've been using two different definitions for the word fear. And so I was thinking about that. It's like, I feel a lot better about this if I could articulate this in a way where I'm using kind of the same words in both sides. So let me, let me make a stab at it here. Uh, went back to the 1828 English Webster's Dictionary and looked up fear, and it says, in Scripture, fear is used to express a filial or slavish passion. Passion in, in those days meant like motivation, right? Filial having to do with family. Uh, slavish meaning that's from the root word of slavery or whatever. It's a it's a, a, a filial or a like friendship or a slavish slave motivation. This is the way I I settled on and it's probably very imperfect, but but I'll say it this way: fear at its core, fear at its core, is that which motivates us to do a thing. You can be motivated to do a thing out of what people think of you or people will do to you if you don't obey them. Or you can, you can be motivated out of, out of uh, what people will do, right? Or you can be motivated out of what God has said. Uh, you can be motivated out of what God has done, out of what God has promised to do. Get the difference? So it's that which excites us, which motivates us to live the way we live fear. So it might be said that for fear of lack of the basics of life, food, clothing, and shelter, for, lack, for fear of the lack of these things, we work, which makes sense. The Bible says, if man doesn't work, he shall not eat. The way that the world is set up, we have to work and earn to pay for things like food, clothing, and shelter. So fear at its core is that which motivates us to do things. So let's talk about what the Bible says about fear of man and fear of God. So I'm going to walk through <clears throat> somewhat rapidly uh, these verses under the category, under the heading of fear of man. And talk about them a little bit, and then we'll talk about fear of God, and then we'll end with some practical things, some practical things to work on. First of all, fear of, fear of man. I love, love, love this verse. Circle it, highlight it, put a couple stars next to it, memorize it. Uh, it's good. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. 
One of the things that you need to know about your pastor, full disclosure, I'm, I'm uh, letting you know all the skeletons in my closet. When I was a child growing up on the farm, we used to trap animals for fur. We don't do that anymore, but back then it was more politically correct, it was less of a controversial issue, and it was a way for the family farm to make some money in the winter season. And we trapped muskrat. Nobody likes muskrat, can we just admit that? They're ugly. Have you ever seen a muskrat? Just look them, just Google it later. You'll look at them and you say, yeah, they need to be trapped and skinned, skinned. You'll, they're ugly, smelly, foul creatures. Anyway, we used to trap muskrat, mink, fox, and raccoon, right? Those were the, the four things. And mostly, mostly what we got was muskrat. But if you're going to trap a fox or you're going to trap a musk, uh, raccoon, a, a fox or a raccoon, you, you, you put together a setup like this, okay? So you're, you're near the den of the fox, let's just say. You're near the den of the fox, and you, you dig, maybe dig a little hole or, or wipe away some earth, and then you put down this, this trap that's been sprung open. It's, it's in the open position, and there's a little pedal that then when they step on it, it closes, it snaps. And then attached to that trap is a chain. And then at the end of that chain, it's staked into the ground. So the idea is, is that this, this little creature is going to go up to the, the den, either to go home to sleep or to come out to, to hunt or something. And uh, he's going to step on that trap. He's going to get his foot caught. And then from then on, there's a radius, according to the length of that chain, there's a radius that they can operate in, and they can go no further until somebody comes along and releases them, they are stuck in that radius. Go back to our verse. Whoops, sorry. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. At its root, what I've noticed, and I think the Bible, I mean, the Bible bears this out, but what I've noticed is that when you operate your life in the fear of man, you are being controlled by other people. Think about it. You, let's just say that you, are, you have a very good friend who also happens to be a believer in the church, and you, but you've, you've made a note, right, that you, you've noticed that this friend is, is operating their lives in sin, perhaps against you. And so with the best of intentions of trying to love your friend and to point them to the Scriptures, you go out for coffee and you pull out your Bible and you, you know, maybe read a passage and then say, look, I love you enough to say, I, I believe that you're sinning in this way. And in fact, on this certain day, a couple days ago, you sinned against me in this way. And I'm bringing it to your attention because I would love for you to... to in case it, you know you didn't notice, I'd love for you to grow in this area. And let's just say that your friend reacts like this. How dare you? Who are you to bring this to me? This is between me and God. Stay out of it. You like my angry voice? Now, uh, if you're like 99.9% of us, your reaction to that is probably going to be, okay, I'm going to stick, I've got a red flag in my hand mentally, I'm going to stick that on that topic, and I know where the minefield is now, I'm never going back there. Am I right? That is a topic that is off, we, we cannot discuss this, my friend does not want me to bring this up anymore, it's been identified, walk away. What you don't now, for some people, that, that might even feel like you've, you've won relation, you, you've had a victory relationally, right? Because, oh, now I've gotten to know my friend a little bit better. I know what he is sensitive about. And so I'm not going to, we're just not going to talk about this anymore because, you know, I'll, I'll try a different approach. This is a win. What you don't understand is that you've immediately allowed yourself to be, you're trapped. You're trapped. That part of the relationship, that topic in the relationship is now been cordoned off by the other person and you're not allowed to go there anymore. Even when, let's, let's say that, that in your estimation, this, this 
in the overall scheme of life, this was a pretty minor thing, but it needed to be worked on. But let's say that that, that particular sin issue becomes life-dominating. Like it's a real big problem. Like it's, it's spun its way into an addiction. It's, it's affecting his marriage. It's affecting his family. It's affecting his work. It's affecting his health. But you can't go there anymore because you stuck a flag there and said, based on his emotional reaction, I, that's operating in the fear of man. Now, I don't have all the answers here, but, but you probably, when your friend reacts that way, you probably should say something more akin. This is gonna ha- you're going to have to figure this out. You know, you've got to do a little bit of martial arts here, spiritually speaking, right? You, you're going to have to figure this out on the fly, but you probably say something more akin to this. Hey, listen, I'm sorry that you're reacting this way. I really am. I'm coming to you motivated out of nothing but love, with the scriptures in my hand to try to minister the word of God to you. If you don't want to talk about this today, that's fine. But I'm going to bring it up again when I see it. I am. Because I love you. Because I love you. I'm going to bring this up again the next time I see it, just so you know. You've just taken a hacksaw and you've hacked the chain and now you're free. You can operate according to the Word of God and not according to that person's emotional response, you see. I know it's subtle, but it's, it's a big deal. I talked in the first service, and I, and I probably monkeyed this up a little bit, but, but I want to give you another scenario here. Let's say you have a whole family. You've got a whole family, and, and let's say that you've got one young man maybe not even 20 years old yet, but in his upper teens, who made a foolish decision and committed a theft, right? He stole some things foolishly, right? And you've got aunt and uncle way over here who are believers. Let's say that he's a believer too, right? But, you know, believer's sin. Uh, and that, that aunt and uncle over here, without talking to their nephew, without confronting him, without saying anything to him, just decide, just decide, you know what we're going to do? We're going to shun. We're not going to talk to him anymore. We're not going to go to family events where he is anymore. We're going to call the the coordinator of the family events. And if if that nephew is going to be at that family event, we're not going. And we're going to make that clear to everybody in the family but our nephew. You ever met anybody like that? I've met a few. They're rare, but they exist. Now, is there a time to part ways with someone? Yeah. Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5. There is a time, but, but the whole goal of Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 is restoration based on the Word of God. So you go to the person, right? And you say, hey, look. You know, in this case, the nephew hasn't sinned against them, but you, go, you can go to the nephew and say, hey, look, our... I heard that this happened. Is this true? That's always good to get verification. You know, oh, yeah, I, I committed theft. Well, are you sorry? Are you, yes, I, I've, I've returned the merchandise and I've got a court date coming up. And I'm, then, then you can say, wonderful. I'm glad. That, I'm glad. How can we help? Right? But if, if your nephew, if the nephew says to the family members, like, yeah, I, I took that stuff. Probably not going to happen. Probably going to go into, I didn't take this stuff. I don't know who says I took this stuff. And you know, then you deal with that differently, especially if it's proven that it did happen. Anyway, we often operate our lives in the fear of man, and it becomes a trap. It becomes a controlling influence. Here's one, one more, and then I'm going to move on. These other ones are, are much quicker, but let me just say this. We're, we're, many of us in this room, maybe almost all of us are Christians. We're, we are professing that we're following Jesus Christ, that he's the Lord of our life. And many of us work in secular environments. I've worked in secular environments before. And if you've worked there for a few months, maybe a year, and you've not told anybody that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it can be very awkward to bring him up in a conversation. Be warned that perhaps the fear of man is keeping you from bringing him up in the conversation. 
because you're afraid of what others might think of you, because you're afraid that perhaps your boss might get mad. Now, let me just say, let me just add a caveat here. When you're on the clock, you need to be working for the boss, right? When you're on the clock. But if you're on your lunch break and somebody's articulating that they're having a problem or that they're having a concern or whatever, you should feel free. You should, should get to the point where you're able to say, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Can I pray for you about that? Or, or would you like to, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Would you, know what the Bi- would you like to know what the Bible has to say, what God has to say on that topic and begin the work of ministry that God has placed us here to do, special forces operator? Special Forces Christian. All right, let me, let me give you a couple other passages that reinforce some of these principles of fear of, of man. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What this passage, if it's not saying anything else as a bare minimum, what it's saying is this. Hear me now, there's a limit to what people can do to you. The most they can do to you is kill your body, which is a lot. I'm not going to minimize it. They can't touch your soul, and that belongs to God. Amen? So they can take your temporal existence from you, but your eternal soul is in the hands of the King of kings and Lord of lords and is eternally secure. And that should give you a great amount of confidence. Galatians 1.10 says this, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, would I not be a servant of Christ? Again, what this passage is saying, if it's not saying anything as a bare minimum, it's saying this, you can't have it both ways, right? You can't serve, you can't operate your life in the fear of man while at the same time trying to operate your life in the fear of God. Those two things are incongruent. It says, if I were still trying to please man, would I not, would I not be a servant of Christ? Now, you might say, well, Pastor Scott, I've heard you say several times that we serve God by serving others. We serve God by serving others. And yes, I have said that, but I hope that you picked up the nuance of that, right? We serve others according to God's word not according to what the other person wants, necessarily. Let me say that again. We serve, we serve others according to God's word, not according to what the other person wants, necessarily. I mean, the other person may want you to agree with them on something that is clearly sinful, and the other person may want you to agree with them that this activity, though, your understanding of Scripture is this is, a very, this is a sinful thing that they might want you to say, to agree with them that their understanding is, is that it's perfectly acceptable and they can do whatever they want. There's a lot of that going on these days. And your job is not to serve them the way they want to be served necessarily, but to serve them the way God has articulated in His Word, which is to speak the truth in love, the truth according to God's Word, not according to their opinion of how they want their life to be. There are lots of biblical examples of people operating their, their lives in, in the fear of man. King Saul, I think, uh, 1 Samuel 13, King Saul operated his life in the fear of man. Uh, when, the, when his um, army was starting to, to atomize and spread out and kind of get away from him, and he was waiting on Samuel to come and, and give the sacrifice to kind of regather the people, rally the troops, so to speak. Samuel was late in coming or didn't come at the exact time that Saul wanted. So King Saul, who was not a priest offered the sacrifice against the word of God clearly articulated because he was afraid of what would happen if the army spread out too much and and whatever. So he operated his life often in the fear of man. Peter, the apostle Peter, before Jesus was resurrected, and Peter insisted with Jesus, I will never deny you. When Peter is in Jesus' presence, when the other disciples are around, he says, I will never deny you. I will ne- never deny you. Now, was, that was clearly not driven by the fear of God, because, and, and it was driven by the fear of man, given the audience that he had, because as soon as Jesus was arrested, and as soon as he was asked three times, by the way, hey, do you know this? You're one of the Jesus 
followers, right? You're him. And he's like, and how do you pronounce his name again? Jesus? I don't know who you're talking about. I'm not that guy. He was operating in the fear of man until later. And he had a change. All right, let's talk about the fear of God. I want to walk you through. This, is, this will be more quickly. I want to walk you through some verses on the fear of God, and then we'll make some, some practical application. First, we see Proverbs 9.10. Again, worthy of your memorization. Uh, when I was a youth pastor and I handed out uh, Bibles for um, graduation gifts, this was always, always, always on the sticker that I put in the front cover. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Atheists, agnostics, they start their thinking processes with this planet just came into existence, this universe just came into existence through some sort of natural means, the Big Bang, we don't know. It came into existence, evolution started happening, and here we are today, we're just one species among many species of animals. We just happen to have the opposable thumbs and the frontal prefrontal cortex. Aren't we lucky? We hit the evolutionary jackpot. In other words, they're starting from a different framework of thinking. And what this text is clearly saying, and, 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 um, and I, think, I think so much data in this life bears it out, is that the, the very starting point to live a skillful life, you know, wisdom is living skillfully, the very starting point of living a skillful life is to start with this. There is a God, and I'm going to let Him be the one to guide my life. I'm going to let him be the one that, that tells me what this is all about, what the mission is. This is. These are questions the world cannot answer. That's why you see various different groups now going off to the right and to the left and up and down. They're going all over the place. They're searching for identity. They're searching for purpose. God has given it to us very clearly. You want to live skillfully in this life? Let God be your motivator. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Secondly, in Ecclesiastes 12, it says, you know, Ecclesiastes, just again, just a quick primer on this. Uh, Ecclesiastes is part of the wisdom literature in the Bible. The book of Proverbs is also in the wisdom literature. And the, and the book of Proverbs says something, big picture, something like this. If you do good things, as God defines what is good, generally speaking, good things will happen. If you do evil things, if you practice evil, as God has defined evil, generally speaking, bad things will happen. That's what the book of Proverbs says. Then Ecclesiastes comes along and says, now wait a minute. Because of the, the fall, because of sin, things are now cloudy and confusing and complex. And life can be messy. So sometimes we do see instances where good things happen to bad people or bad things happen to good people. It's part of the fall. But, but at, the, at the summation, at the very end of Ecclesiastes, the writer says this, at the end of the matter, all has been heard. Taking into consideration the cloudiness, the complexity, the confusion of this life, Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. Despite the cloudiness and confusion of this life, we must operate in the fear of God and keep his commandments. And then a couple of passages from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. We've covered this already, but just to, just to say it again, I think Pastor Brad covered this one. This is where Peter and John were brought before the human authorities that happened to be the Jewish authorities, and they were questioned about their healing of this man. Peter and John, uh, you know, they're telling him, that, you know, go away, don't, don't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. Peter and John say this, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Confession time. Oftentimes when, when people tell me, you can't talk about that because that's a Christian thing and, and we're talking about a public thing and you can't bring your Christianity into the public sphere or something like that, I feel the pressure, 
I feel the pressure to explain why, yes, I can bring this into the public sphere and make this big, elaborate, and, and very uh, logically sound argument. And Peter and John don't fall into that trap. They simply say this, Hey, you human authority, you're going to have to exercise that human... If you think that it's right in the sight of God Almighty for me to listen to you rather than to Him, you're going to have to make that decision. This is a very valuable passage of Scripture to have in your back pocket. Maybe it's something worthy to put on a note card, write down in your Bible, highlight, memorize, uh, because I think this is going to come up uh, in, your, in our lifetimes for sure. Whether you think it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. In other words, I'm not the one on trial here, or I'm, I'm not the one that has to make the decision or the argument. You need to use your, you're going to have to choose to use your human authority to take care of me, to, to get me out of here. Because I'm going to, verse 20, I cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I'm going to, I'm going to do the Lord's work here. Uh, you have to do with that whatever you want. I think it's very interesting passage of Scripture. So these are examples of men operating in the fear of God. Remember, Peter was quaking in his boots, denying Jesus three times, operating his life in the fear of men. Now he's turned the corner. He's operating his life in the fear of God. And then, of course, you know Acts 5.29. Again, they're brought before the authorities. Again, they're told to stop what they're doing. They're even put in jail. They're messed up a little bit, like they're beat up a little bit physical violence against them, and Peter and the apostles. Again, it's Peter, Mr. Fear of Men himself, who says, we must obey God rather than men. We have to. We're not operating our lives according to the fear of man anymore. We're operating our lives according to the fear of God. And there's all kinds of biblical examples of people who did this. Remember David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17? For Samuel 17, David's not even in the fight, right? You've got the army of Israel arrayed on this side of the Elah Valley. You've got the army of the Philistines arrayed on this side of the Elah Valley. And down in the valley is Goliath saying, okay, here's the deal. Here's the deal, you Israelites. One of you comes down here and beats me, you win. We'll go home. I beat you, we win. Let's go. Send out your best guy. And they're all up there going... I don't think so. Not me. David's not even in the fight. He's off tending the sheep. He comes to check on his brothers. And uh, sure enough, he gets into a conversation and goes something like this. 1 Samuel 17, 26. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David, I don't know how big he was. Young David. So young he was left at home to tend the sheep. And he goes out, he, he, the armor won't fit him. So he goes out there with a sling and a rock. Some, well, several rocks. By the way, in my office, if anybody wants to see, I have rocks from the Elah Valley. They're about the size of my fist, so they would hurt if I threw them at you. But he, he took out Goliath. His confidence, in the, at least in that moment of his life, his confidence was in God. What about Esther? Esther was not a perfect person. Esther, Esther hesitated a bit when Mordecai told her what she needed to do. But at the end, after the conversation had been had, she said, okay, I'm going to go to the king, and if I perish, I perish. Okay, so I've, I, I've taken enough of the time, I've taken enough of your time to, to talk about what the fear of God looks like and the fear of man looks like. Let's boil this down to some principles, maybe, that we can walk away with and maybe apply in our everyday lives. So I've, I've taken some of, these, some of these passages and I've boiled them down to some, some couple of principles, a couple of corollaries here. Principle number one is this. The starting point to skillful living, that's what wisdom is, skillful living, is choosing to make God the source of your motivation. What are you, what are you going to do this morning when you get up? Well, yeah, you're going to work hard for your employer. You're going to study hard for your school that you're a part of. You're going to practice hard if you're part of an athletic team. But, but, 
Because God is an important part of your life and the most important part, in fact, your motivation for this life, you're going to spend meaningful time with him and you're going to practice what his word has to say in your marriage, in your family, in your work, in your community, in your church. So we have to, if we're going to live wisely, we have to choose, we have to make the decision to make God the source of our motivation. Uh, corollary number 1A is obedience to God's word is the key, right? Um, I, listen, if you say, you know, if you say to me, if, you, if someone were to say to me, God spoke to me and told me that I should be doing this, and that thing that God spoke to you and told you that you should be doing is contrary to his word, then I'm going to say, no, God didn't say that. God, God spoke clearly in his word. And then corollary number 1B is, uh, even while life is com- confusing. I, can I let you in know on a little secret? This is just me as a pastor kind of pulling back the curtain. I don't have, the curtain's not up, it's down right now. But the, pulling back the curtain of my job just a little bit. No issue that I've ever tackled is a clean issue, right? We'll go back to this, little, this nephew over here that, that stole something. Why did he steal? Well, maybe his parents were angry with him and they deprived him. I mean, maybe his parents were, were acting completely sinfully and they deprived him for food for three days. He had nothing to eat. And so what he stole was food so that he could eat and nourish himself because he was starving. Does that make the, th- the thievery right? No, but it makes it a very complex issue, right? It makes it more of a... Com- nothing's ever... Nothing is ever simple. Life is often conf- complex and confusing. What we do is we, we walk in obedience to God's word despite the complexity and confusion to the best of our ability. By the way, um, when I say skillful living is choosing to make God the source of your motivation, let's, let's really get real here for just a minute. Oftentimes, and I'm, I think I'm just as guilty as this as anybody else, but oftentimes in a, in a marriage relationship, the temptation can be that, that your motivation is to make your spouse happy. Now, there's a saying out there, and I apologize to you ladies because it has to do with you, but I think you could equally say things on the other side of the equation, which is, if mama ain't happy, then nobody's happy, right? You've heard that before? You could equally say, if papa's not happy, then nobody's happy. Because I've seen the effect that an angry man, an angry father has, an hus- angry husband father has on a family, and it's, it's, you know, causes everybody to just freeze, chilling. The truth is, is that to the degree that God gives us the ability to do so, and according to our understanding of God's word, our job as a spouse is to assist our spouse in becoming more holy. So we do need to talk to our spouses, and our spouses need to talk to us about the sin that that they're seeing in our lives, the sin that we're seeing in their lives, to think about these things together, to pray about these things together, to work on these things together. Because the end result of this marriage thing is not that we would... Listen, if if I made my goal to make my wife happy... I'm in real trouble, and so is she. Because I will run around all day chasing, what do I buy her next? What do I do for her next? What do I, what, and, and she'll, her ability to get things done will atrophy because she knows all she has to do is snap her fingers and Scott will get right on it. Including perhaps her spiritual growth, which I can't do anything about. Except, you know, speak truth into her life as her husband. I I can't make her do things. All that is to say is that um, we need to apply the fear of man principle, fear of God principle in our marriages as, as a good starting point. Last principle is this, principle number two. And this is important, especially in the times that we're living in now. People in authority often believe that they can shut down God's mission on the earth. If you don't believe me, read Psalm chapter 2. It's a short one, won't take you long. Write it in the margin, Psalm 2, read it later. 
People in authority often believe that they can shut down God's mission on the earth. We must never agree with that no matter the cost. When somebody says, you can't, when your boss says, listen, you can't speak about your faith at work. Well, when I'm on the clock working for you, I get it. You're paying me for this time, I should be working. But when I'm on my lunch break, my unpaid lunch break, which is my time, you're telling me that I can't have a conversation with my coworker? No. I'm going to have a conversation about life or anything with my coworker because I'm free to do that. What are we talking about here? You get the idea. People in authority often believe that they can shut down God's mission on the earth. I think our government authorities think that they can do that from time to time. I think that our employers think that they can do that from time to time. We just, we can't agree with that. There's nuance there, and you're going to have to work through your particular situation, and I'm here to help if you need guidance. I'm here to help. So the question was, what's the, what's the, what's the, the, key characteristic change, or what's the main change? What, I, what fundamental change should happen in the life of a person when they decide to follow Jesus? Here it is. The answer is, once a person decides to follow Jesus, they should move from operating their lives in the fear of man to operating their lives in the fear of God. And the greatest example I can think of that is the disciples. The disciples who remained after Jesus went resurrected from the dead, not Judas, but when the, the disciples that remained, and with the addition of Paul... Each one of them, if you read church history, went to their death, went to their death. They laid down their lives for what they believed about God. They operated their lives in the fear of God. The only one that survived was John, and he was tortured and exiled to the island of Patmos where he wrote the Revelation. Now, I don't know that, Jesus, I don't know that God will ask you to require you to lay down your life. I don't know that he'll require that from any of us. But he might. Our job is not to ask that question. Our job is simply to say, is simply to ask this question. Am I going to operate my life according to the fear of man or according to the fear of God? All right, here's some possible application. I think this is very practical stuff. Number one, man, I think it would be a great use of your time. In fact, I'm challenging you for the next week, maybe 30 days. You, you pick the time frame, make it at least a week. Take some time every day, five minutes if you need to. Five minutes and meditate, read in the Bible and meditate on God's character and his accomplishments. What do I mean? I mean, read 1 Samuel 17 and see how David killed Goliath. Read the book of Esther and, and, and think, what set Esther apart? What, did she, what decision that she, did she do and what implication did that have on the long-term impact for Israel and to the fact that we're reading about her today in God's word? She simply decided to operate her life in that moment in the fear of God. And it had a huge impact. In fact, I, I would say this, I don't know if I can name anyone who's had a significant impact on God's work on the earth who was operating their life in the fear of man. I don't know anybody. Maybe you do. I'm interested. Anyway, when I talk about the attributes or about, about God's character, I'm talking about his attributes. And a great book for that, as you probably know, is uh, the Attributes of God by A.W. Pink. You know, maybe read a chapter in the uh, A.W. Pink book and just think, man, this God that I'm serving. I could fear this human being over here. I could let this human being motivate me, but I know this person has a laundry list of defects, a laundry list of flaws. They're, they're not even operating their lives very wisely, and I'm, I'm allowing myself to be controlled by them. But on the other hand, I've got this God who is immutable. He never changes. He's perfect. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. He loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to pay for all of our sins and then resurrect him on the third day so that we would know that he was the son of God so that we could have our sins forgiven and live with him forever. Now, this is a great morning meditation, right? Am I going to be controlled by this person or am I going to be controlled by this God? Am I going to let this God motivate me or that person today? I've been, I've been doing a lot of, uh, of thinking in my own life here lately. 
I don't know about, if you're anything like me, I have moments in my day that are very, I feel very strong and bold for the Lord. And then I have other moments in my day where I feel like I'm just a wimp. And in those moments where I'm feeling strong and bold, that's where I need to spend some time, you know, meditating and, and, and setting the course for my day so that I don't let myself get to, I'm going to wimp out on this one. That's just, that's just that's my own internal thought processes coming out, sorry. Secondly, practice, practice, practice obedience to God's word within the church. Man, hey, if, if, if there's a brother or sister that's sinned against you and you haven't confronted them yet and you're just kind of sitting on it and stewing on it, what are you doing? You're letting fear of man control your life. Get on it, right? Get on it. Um, um, the nice thing about doing this within the context of the church is that the whole thing goes sideways. Let's think worst case scenario here. The whole thing goes sideways and it doesn't go well and there's, there's a big mess. Now you can go through the Matthew 18 process. You can get two or three others involved, perhaps get an elder involved, and we can try to bring help to the situation. It's a great place to to practice obedience to God's word. And then that will build up your physical, your uh, spiritual muscles so that you can get more involved in the mission to unbelievers, so that you can witness to those that don't know him, that you can uh, bring God into the conversation, that you can share the gospel with someone. Because I'm willing to bet, if you're anything like me, and I'm guessing that we're very similar people, that the fear of man is oftentimes holding you back from saying, can I tell you about my Jesus? All right. Last thing I put on your sheet, there's a great book, and I commend it to your reading. It's one that, that it's worth your time. When People Are Big and God is Small by Ed Welsh. Our church is not divided up into the congregation, which is the regular infantry, and the pastors and elders, which are the special forces. We all got to be in the special forces meaning we all have to learn to operate our lives according to the fear of the Lord and not in the fear of man. Father, we need your help to do it. God, uh, you've given us your word, your Holy Spirit. You've given us this congregation uh, that we can, we can edify, we can build up one another, we can, we can raise each other's arms when we're weak, and we can rally the cry when we're strong. And so, Father, help us to access these things to operate our lives wisely, skillfully for your honor and for your glory in gratitude for what you've done for us through your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. A lot to think about this week. Go in peace, brothers and sisters.